Chapter 5 deals with the four classes of organic molecules that we deal with in biology. These are carbohydrates, lipids, proteins, and nucleic acids. What do wood, pasta, your t-shirt, and sugar all have in common? They're all carbohydrates. They're composed of molecules that have carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen. They might be simple monomers like glucose, which has the formula C6H12O6, or it could be long chains of glucoses all hooked together to form a polymer such as starch. We have special names for monomers and polymers when it comes to the carbohydrates. We call them monosaccharides, disaccharides, or polysaccharides. The structural formula of monosaccharides can be written as a linear form, but in an aqueous solution, they tend to form rings, such as a pentagon shape or a hexagon shape. Glucose is a hexagon that has five carbons and one oxygen in the ring, with the CH2OH coming up off of one of the carbons, and then of course you have OH groups and H groups popping up and down in various parts of the molecule, depending on what isomer you're looking at. Disaccharides can be formed when two monosaccharides are hooked together. This happens when the hydroxyl groups of two adjacent sugar molecules lose uh, water in a reaction that's called a condensation reaction, or sometimes you might have heard it as a dehydration synthesis reaction. The resulting disaccharide is linked together covalently with an oxygen molecule in between the two monosaccharides. So when two glucose molecules get hooked together, they form a disaccharide sugar called maltose. Or table sugar is another example of a disaccharide which is formed from glucose and another monosaccharide called fructose. Once you start hooking many sugars together, you wind up with polysaccharides, or many sugared molecules. These are long chains, a few hundred or a few thousand sugars long. Starch, a storage polysaccharide of plants, is a polymer consisting entirely of glucose monomers. Now plants store energy in the form of starch. We grind up wheat, we make flour, we bake goods with that, cookies, Make cookies, make donuts, bread, cereal, things like that. And then our bodies hydrolyze that plant starch, break down into individual glucose molecules in the end that we use for energy on a cellular level. You even have special starches that your body makes as an animal in your muscles. It's called glycogen, and it's a highly branched chain of glucose molecules that gets broken down and it's actually the first thing that's used when you exercise that your body uh, taps into its store of energy and that's why you end up doing things like carbo loading the day before a big track meet or a marathon or something like that to replenish these glycogen reserves. Now this may get a little complicated so see if you can follow me. Starches have an alpha helix shape, a helical shape to them or a spiral. This is because of the location of the hydroxyl group on the first carbon in the glucose chain. Because the glucose molecules are all facing the same direction, it actually twists the molecule um, every time that another one is attached. By contrast, 
cellulose, which is what wood is made out of, actually has a slightly different structure to the glucose molecule. The only difference is that in the long chain of the cellulose polysaccharide, the glucose molecules are in their beta form, which means that they, alter, they end up alternating up, down, up, down. This makes for a straight molecule. Now, the implication of all this is that the alpha helix of the starch has a lot of space um, around it. There are fewer interactions between different starch molecules. On the other hand, the cellulose is a very straight molecule. They, and each individual strand of cellulose can come in contact with adjacent strands. So there's lots of opportunities for the hydroxyl groups um, to form hydrogen bonds in the adjacent molecules. It makes it much stronger, and as a matter of fact, our bodies cannot break down cellulose. If we eat it, it just passes right through us as fiber, roughage. There are only uh, certain organisms that can break down that cellulose. Uh, certain bacteria and fungi actually have enzymes that are uh, necessary to break that down. The second macromolecule we want to talk about are the lipids. They're a diverse hydrophobic group of molecules, mostly hydrocarbons. And the ones that we're going to deal with most commonly in biology are fats, phospholipids, and steroids. Fats are molecules that are composed of a glycerol molecule and three fatty acids attached to it. It gets formed when a long hydrocarbon chain fatty acid, a bunch of hydrogens attached to carbon backbone, uh, has a carboxyl group on one end. That carboxyl group loses an OH and combines with an H from a hydroxyl group from the glycerol to form what's called an ester linkage that hooks the fatty acid to the glycerol. Do this two more times and you got yourself a fat molecule. One thing that comes up a lot in class and in the media is the talk of saturated fats versus unsaturated fats. Saturated fats are ones that are saturated with hydrogens. There's lots of hydrogens around the carbons, so they pack, because of this, there are straight molecules that pack in closely together. Whereas unsaturated fats have a fatty acid or acids that have one or more double bonds between the carbons. Because of this double bond, it kinks it off to the side. By having these bends in the long chains, they can't pack as closely together. Unsaturated fats tend to be things that are um, more fluid at room temperature. And these unsaturated fats are better for you, such as olive oil or vegetable oil or things like that. Whereas saturated fats tend to be those fats that are usually not as good for you, like the fat from a steak or from bacon, um, or even the fats like from butter um, those tend to be a little bit more solid at room temperature. Because of this, they tend to also be a little more solid when they get into your bloodstream. And they also form plaques and other things on the inside of your arteries and can be a factor in heart disease. The secret word for the day is trans fats. When you come to class, say trans fats to me. The third kind of macromolecule we want to discuss are proteins. They're essentially long chains of amino acids. Now, amino acids 
very um, in their R group. This R group I like to think of as a reaction group. Um, the R group changes from amino acid to amino acid. The basic backbone of the amino acid stays the same, though. It is an amino group on one side, that's an NH2, a hydrogen up above, and then on the other side will be a carboxyl group. Because there's a carboxyl group, we have the name amino acid. Now, the R group can vary on the amino acid. Some of them are nonpolar, things like alanine, valine, leucine. Those are all nonpolar on that part of the amino acid. So, they would be hydrophobic, for example, because of their nonpolar nature. Other amino acids are polar. They have hydroxyl groups on the end that allow them to dissolve easily in water and form hydrogen bonds, for example. While other ones are electrically charged, um, some of them are basic in nature, some of them are acidic in nature. Now, the function of a protein depends on the specific conformation or shape of the whole protein molecule. That, in turn, is based on the order and number and kinds of amino acids that we find in that molecule. There are four levels of protein structure. The primary structure of a protein is the unique amino acid sequence itself. The secondary structure of proteins arise from segments of their polypeptide chain that's repeatedly coiled or folded in patterns that contribute to the protein's overall conformation or shape. These particular patterns are a result of hydrogen bonds in between the amino acids at regular intervals along the polypeptide backbone. The tertiary structure of a protein is a result of folding that occurs because of interactions and bondings between the side chains or R groups of the various amino acids. Sometimes you might have hydrophobic interactions where nonpolar regions clump together and congregate within the protein when it's in an aqueous solution. Other times you'll have disulfide bridges that occur. Um, that's when you have a sulfhydryl group on two different amino acids that form a covalent bond between these sulfurs. You might even have uh, other hydrogen bonding and things that go on in there, ionic bonding, for example, between ions. And finally, if there's more than one component to a whole protein, you would have quaternary structure, where you would have the individual components of the protein coming together and bonding and together. The example of that would be um, red blood cells. They're composed of hemoglobin, and the hemoglobin is actually composed of four different proteins that all make one big massive protein to make up that particular molecule. Essentially, the protein folds and folds and folds into a particular configuration based on the amino acid sequence and the environment that it's in. The final kind of macromolecule that we deal with are nucleic acids. These are things like RNA and DNA, which are responsible for the genetic information in the cell and also the uh, formation of proteins. Hopefully you know all about these, but we'll review it anyway um, really quickly. You have a sugar phosphate backbone to the DNA or the RNA. Uh, the sugar is deoxyribose in DNA. It is ribose in RNA. And then you have a phosphate group in between each one. 
Attached to the sugar molecule is a base. There's adenine, guanine, thymine, and cytosine in DNA. In RNA, uracil is substituted for thymine. This forms a double helix ladder shape in DNA, or if it's RNA, it's just single-stranded. We're going to learn later on in the year exactly what happens with these molecules, but right now, just know their basic structure so that later on, we'll be able to discuss it. So you guys always have questions for me. Now I have some questions for you. These are things that you might want to think about. Do fish get cramps after eating? Whatever happened to preparation A through G? And one thing that's been bugging me, if olive oil comes from olives, where does baby oil come from?